1: Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, it is a privilege and honor to welcome into the studio Congressman Doctor Paul Gosar representing Arizona. Is it now the ninth it's congressional? The ninth district. They got you. We used to be the ninth yeah, district around. Yeah, musical numbers. Here. Yeah, I guess that's uh, they keep the enemies yeah. uh, confused that way. That's exactly. Right. You, um, you, uh, they always tackle the guy with the football and you're always running the football on them, aren't you? I,
2: it's I'm one of the, one of the favorites.
1: <laughs> well, we're delighted to have you here, sir. Have you in studio with us. I want to talk to you just a little bit about where we are as a party, a movement and what's been going on in the house since we've taken back the majority. Mm-hmm. You came in, if I'm not mistaken, with the Tea Party in 2010. How is the conservative Base Right now, Dr. Gosar, how would you say the conservative movement stands right now?
2: We're divided. We're very divided. You know, we've gotten to the point where we're name-calling. And it gets back to what Ronald Reagan said. You know, somebody that agrees with me 80% of the time is friend, not foe. And particularly at this time in, in our history, you know, we are such a polarized country. And you see the destruction that this administration has done in a mere two years, a mere two years, We can't do this again. And it's going to take all of us uh, uh, to get together and uh, put bygones be bygones and and move forward and make sure that it's a fair election, make sure that we get out the vote. And that means everybody. You know, with 35 percent of the the vote uh, actually coming out, we need – what if we get 15 percent more and it's on our side? Yeah. You know, we can do this.
1: The stakes are so high. I mean, I think about just one vote that took place – Last week, the Protection of Women and Girls in Sports Act, mm-hmm. and it astounded me. Zero Democrats voted for this thing. I think we had our entire caucus on it on board for it, but it astounded me because when you listen to the Democrats talk about transgender competition in athletics, collegiate athletics or elsewhere, um, they don't have a. Co- I think they know they're wrong. Is what I guess I'm trying to say. I, I mean maybe there's a few of these – maybe the, there's a few of these folks that, that truly believe in, in a Marxist overthrowing of, 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 of all that exists. But I think most of those Democrats, they know that this position is – can't be possibly sustainable. Am I wrong about this or do they really, really believe that, in this? That stuff? I
2: don't know. Okay. And particularly, and, you know, all you can go by is what they say. I guess so. And their, and their actions. And so when you listen to the floor debate, when you listen to them line up and go one by one by one, yeah. and you go, wait a minute. You know, this comes back to basic genetics. Yeah. These individuals here are XY. They are very much advanced versus an XX. Now, this, I'll tell you, the XX, there's some great women athletes out there.
1: That's why we protect women's
2: sports. Exactly right. That's exactly the way it should be. So. I, know, I don't know where this where this takes us Seth i don't know how far it goes, but I know where as we shouldn't let it go is where Pelosi was taking us
1: with that issue along with you've seen this over the last i guess uh year or so maybe since uh, the Dobbs decision. we keep being told we conservatives need to drop these socialists we didn't raise them as mm-hmm. far as i'm concerned they're they're starting the the, the baseball game on the ninth inning. Yep. And I resent and resist the notion that we should abandon this field. If we abandon this field, I don't know what field there is. I wonder where you are on this.
2: You know, you, you got to pick a side. You can't straddle the fence. You know, you either believe in life or you don't. You know, so uh, we got to stand with this. And uh, I look at, you know, yeah, a woman has all the options for her body. But where's the options for that 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 baby? It, that's what it is. It's a child. It's not going to be a rat. It's not going to be an elephant. It's a human being. And we believed in the principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's for all, not some, all.
1: Kind of a message there, too, when you think about how long it took our movement to get that victory. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a message that it is harder to be a conservative because we're pushing up against an elite culture in this country. Um, But persistence will pay off. And if people told us to abandon it and we listened to it six years ago Mm – we wouldn't have saved. I think I read that we have saved thirty thousand lives since the Dobbs decision across this probably country. More than that, probably more than that at yeah. this point. Yeah, if we were to abandon, you know, our our social positions, I mean, it seems to me then all we're left to fight about is the tax code. Important as it is, yeah. it's not exactly something that's going to get people to storm a mountain.
2: Well, this this comes back to accountability. Yeah. So this is really, you know, the culture change that I've been talking about. Yeah. I think uh, Governor DeSantis also speaks about it, is that everything is going to disrupt this culture, whether it be immigration, whether it be the Dobbs decision, whether it be, you know, women uh, or men and women's sports. Every part of this has to do with culture change. And we're under attack from all sides. And so I I don't abandon that uh, army of children. That's our future. And it's, it's, it wasn't animals that we saw save things. It was human beings. Right. But we got to get back to the rule of law. That's what the United States was so good about. People have to be held accountable. It starts with Washington, D.C. And, uh, you know, what? we've gotten out of control. That's why you see Chicago. You see uh, New, New York, L.A. The bottoms dropped out.
1: I was thinking about this news last week. Speaking of that in L.A., Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, he finally called out the National Guard to help with the San Francisco chronic homeless issue. I don't know if you saw this news now. It remains to be seen what he'll let them do. But my gosh, uh, how many more lives could we have saved if the liberals and the left weren't so resistant to what we've been talking about for at least six or seven years yeah. with this crisis?
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and in the ramifications that have come from this per- permissibility, yeah. you know, the culture shock, the kids, you know, with needles, uh, you know, even your food supply. Yep. So, you know, uh, the needles, uh, the leftover runs down in the, in the water in the drains, goes out to Puget Sound. Right. And so now you see the, the, mul- the, the crustaceans like the um, mussels, clams and all that stuff testing positive for these drugs. Incredible. You know, so this is a total destruction of accountability.
1: When you think about another kind of accountability, you know, a lot of us were looking forward to the Republicans taking Congress back as they did two years ago. Uh, in the elections, how's it going? How are we doing uh, with Kevin McCarthy and hearings and Jim Jordan, your colleague, with his oversight and justice committees? How, are, are we getting there? Are we, are we going to have some accountability? It we, seems we, like we're exposing a lot.
2: We are. We are. And, and, and the thing about it, Seth, we couldn't have accomplished this if, if we had had a red tsunami. Right. It would have been business as usual. I, yeah. And so the 20 of us that held out had nothing to do with Kevin McCarthy. It had everything to do with the Speaker of the House's job. We've been making. I said this over and over and over. You know, I come in and, and evaluate things. That's my that's my profession. And we, I kept saying, we're making the speaker much more powerful than they should be, over and over and over. And so we had this opportunity with a five vote majority. That gives you the luxury to to make a stand. And so Kevin has done everything that he has that we've asked of him.
1: Accountability within our own party. So Absolutely, to speak. Yeah. that's
2: where it starts. Yeah. And now we're starting to see some of the fruits of those responses, so we've you know the Select Committee on China passing H R. one, you know starting to talk about energy, you know all the above, why the Green New Deal doesn't work, why, why it's probably fallacy in that regard. but also HR7, you know uh, ending the pandemic, you know this this thing that kept us crippled as a country to a false narrative. Uh, He's done. He's done the Loman's job, and then we're now going to start seeing some more of this. For example, everybody wanted to see single-issue bills, right? And then the amendments have to be germane, right? Imagine that That's what people have wanted for you know for forever. <laughs> Number two is if Congress didn't authorize it, it's subject to removal, right? Well, I mean that gets us back to the power of the purse. So now we can start talking about ATF. ATF was never authorized by Congress. How about the OPT program? Never authorized by Congress. So any rule, program, or agency never conducted and authorized by Congress is now subject to a removal. So, you know, we may say we'll try to get ATF. We're probably not going to get them. But we should be able to get every single rule they've promulgated.
1: Well, listen, I mean, I think this message is important because people, I think, were expecting a dramatic change based on a red tsunami when they didn't get the red tsunami. We got the majority nonetheless. It's going to take a little while. There's a lot to unwind here. And, of course, we don't have the Senate yet. Do you think we have a chance at the Senate, a shot at the Senate?
2: I do. There's more Democrats on the the line this time than Uh, ever before. So, you know, when you look at that, 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 that narrative, Seth, Seventy percent of America thinks we're going in the wrong direction. I know. You know, so, you know, wake up, America. Wake up.
1: Paul Gosar is our guest. He uh, proudly represents Arizona's ninth congressional district and a lot more than that. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the border. It's an a, issue yeah. that, you know, it's funny. It kind of it hasn't ever gotten better or gone away, but it just doesn't always make the news as much as it should. And you've been you've doing, you've been excellent on the border. Paul Gosar and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. It is a delight to have uh, in uh, studio with me Congressman Dr. Paul Gosar representing Arizona's 9th Congressional District. I do want to talk about the border in a second, uh, Paul, if I might. But before we do, you have been sounding an alarm on something that not a lot of other – Congress folks have been. Talk to us a little bit about national emergencies, sir.
2: Yeah, so, you know, we have been victimized over this COVID national emergency. You know, public health actually did the screaming, and particularly individuals at the highest levels. And so Congress people fail to realize what the law states. The law states that once there's a declaration of a national emergency... Congress must, shall, two words they use very uh, differently, must, shall convene no later than six months later to decide whether to continue or to kill. Now, I put this bill on Pelosi's desk twice last year. She refused illegally to bring it up to the floor. It's called a privilege motion, which means you set aside all the rest of the the, uh, work and you take it and you can't amend it. It's either up or down uh, vote. And then if you pass it, it goes directly to the Senate the same way. So uh, we got into this because I think that, uh, I don't think, I know that public health really didn't do their job. And so what we discovered, Seth, is that there are 35 additional national emergencies, some of them which will just shock you out of your wits, that have been left open since 1978, the Jimmy Carter era. And what this does is that when you're under a declaration, it gives the executive branch over 120 different powers. One of them is power of the purse. So remember back in fall of 2021, Congress passed a bill to give $2.4 billion to COVID testing. It never made it there. They rerouted it for immigrant, illegal immigrant housing. Here's another one. The $1.7 trillion omnibus bill was intentionally done under the COVID emergency. Therefore, technically, not one dollar has to go where it is supposed to go. They can move it around and around and around. You you come from a
1: pretty hardy stock, both the area you represent and where you were born. Were you surprised by how fast and how many Americans bowed so quickly and deferred so quickly to the COVID national emergency mitigations as well as the statewide mitigations?
2: I did, and and I, I was chastised. You know, uh, I have healthcare backgrounds, and and I'm I'm no, a no dummy. You know, when you don't know what you're up against, it's not if you're going to touch that virus; it's when. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do is be prepared. You want to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That way, you can code, use your immune system to give you that defense mechanism. So my comment was: eat well, sleep well, exercise. Go out to the in the daylight between 10 and 2, show your belly. I was going to actually put a whole other design out there for, you know, the, the belly of those shirts from Gosar. Uh, sort of <laughs> kind of thing, you know? But, I mean, that's how you get your arm. I mean, you take zinc. Um, and, uh, you know, that's pretty much the protocol now. You know, uh, people that have, you know, epidemiology degrees and stuff like that, you know, threw that aside. And today the protocols are the very same things I just outlined for you. Except if you've got some comorbidities, yeah. you need to uh, rinse your nose twice a day with a saline product that has either peroxide or iodine, because we're finding this resaturation and reinfection from the nose cavity. Interesting.
1: Part of the <clears throat> excuse me, part of the problem that warped so many fellow Americans of ours during COVID was the censorship yep. that engaged <clears throat> that was uh, foisted on us through social media with a lot of a heavy hand from the government. Talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on social media platforms.
2: So, you know, these are private companies, and so you, you always, I'm a small government guy, kind of guy, so you really uh, don't like the, the possibility of government dictating to a private entity. However, they never were formed to represent the, uh, the public forum, that, that, that public square of discussion. So we've proposed that what ends up happening is is that all the platforms have to you as a subscriber or a marketer have to offer you all the options from a full, open, uncensored, anything, unfiltered Internet to a filter that you may want. Maybe you don't want pornography. Maybe you don't want this or that. And as long as they honor that, they get Section 230 immunity. Mm
1: -hmm. Once they do, Mm -hmm. once they don't, Mm -hmm. they lose it. Mm -hmm.
2: So what that basically does, it still makes we the people that arbiter, and still keeps that connection. So I I can I can have my discussions, keep that freedom of speech uncensored, or I may want to be censored. I might want to live in a shell, <laughs> but it, but it gives everybody that tailored aspect, and yeah. it makes them come to the people.
1: There is <clears throat> excuse me this challenge. I'm I'm sure you face it on a daily basis, as do I, if not hourly, of talking to people about. Not different opinions, but different facts because mm-hmm. of the censorship we have seen and because of the isolation people put themselves mm-hmm. in and never kind of hear a show like us or, or, or a message like yours. It's, it, it makes governing, it must make governing harder. I know, it, I know it creates divisiveness, but we're in a place now where we don't agree on facts anymore.
2: That's exactly right. But, but science should be that, that arbiter out, 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 of, out of balance. Should And the reason being because... The way we've progressed with science is: I take a series of outlying ideas, circumstances, put them under a controlled system, I get a result. Then I should be able to hand you that, Seth. You do the same things that I did and get the same result. It's called peer-reviewed. Yep. But this wasn't. This was not happening. No. You know, and that's why you get so many people uh, uh, having pro- problems with this. But we got to go back. Let's go back to the Obama era. So the grants that were given. Had conditions. You got a grant as long as you provided a a paper wow. that got this result. Sure. And so, if you're one of those people that are dependent upon grants, yeah.
1: yeah. you are conditioned like a mouse. Yeah, the and conclusion's you, well, already written. That's exactly right. You don't even
2: need. And that's study. why we don't agree on that. We're, we're, we we shut down everybody to listen, and that's the magic of America. You could disagree, but you could debate it. You could you, you know, take your points take it one for one and, and go at it, but in a civil manner. We don't have that anymore. Yeah, It lacks accountability because we can say whatever we want to. Uh, we can do anything we want to. We can get away with it. That's why this is a whole culture explosion that we're seeing uh, over and over again. This is about changing culture.
1: And I think what they do, I have to tell you, I think it is what creates so much of the divide in America, so much of the paranoia. And you know those who claim and shout about extremism the most are the ones who are forcing people into extremes because they're not giving them any faith in their institutions anymore. Doctors used to be kind of one of the most trusted things. Medicine used to be a trusted yeah. thing. That's gone.
2: It is. And we are not focusing on the right accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, let's take COVID, for example. I'm not so worried about what China did. Yeah. I'm worried about what the United States yeah, did. I totally agree. Because it's, they totally provided agree. all the parts, and they knew that the facility couldn't meet the standards.
1: Totally agree with you. Paul Gosar, it's so nice to see you again, sir. That's Thanks it. for coming in. Thanks
2: for coming in. Thanks. You sir.
1: betcha. Um, James Madison spoke about energy in the executive. He, he didn't know you. <laughs> I <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> you. you bet. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight and honor and privilege to bring back to this show our county attorney, Rachel Mitchell. I'm not sure if we've spoken since she was uh, elected, but it is a delight to have you back with us, Rachel. Thank you for everything you do, and thanks for being with us.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: You bet. It's an important week. It's National Crime Victims' Rights Week. Uh, you have been involved in uh, defending crime victims' rights and prosecuting on their behalf Your practically your entire professional career. Tell us what we should be cognizant of, what we should think about, what we should be uh, concerned about during National Crime Victims' Rights Week.
3: You know, Seth, I think it's something that a lot of people don't think about until, unfortunately, they're the victim of a crime. And... Um, You know, one thing I would say is we're very blessed in Arizona. We have a very strong Victims' Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. Um, It's been in the Constitution, actually, since uh, 1990. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I have taught throughout uh, the state, and I can tell you we are head and shoulders above the other states when it comes to victims' rights. That doesn't mean we don't have a ways to go. We do. But um, it's, it's nice that people have the right to even be in a courtroom Mm -hmm. when the case that is affecting them is being tried. That didn't used to be the case.
1: It's so incredible uh, that people wouldn't, that that wouldn't wouldn't naturally have occurred to people that we didn't have that on behalf of victims' rights. It's so incredible that we needed to actually put that in there, that that wasn't a right of victims.
3: You know, it's interesting. Just last year, uh, Frank Atwood was executed for, murdering an eight-year-old child uh, down in Tucson, and that case was actually tried up here Mm -hmm. in 1987. And as a a college student, I went and watched parts of that trial, and I remember seeing the mom of that child, even though she didn't witness the, the, the murder, but she was going to testify that her daughter went off to mail a letter, that type of thing was kept in the hallway throughout the whole trial and couldn't be in there.
1: That's incredible in and of itself. It's also incredible Mm -hmm. to me that that case started when you were in college, when you think about it, and the trajectory of Mm -hmm. your career that you had to wait until you actually were now county attorney to actually see that justice done. Because it is a right Mm -hmm. of the victim to have not only a speedy trial— but a disposition and final conclusion, and I wonder if we're doing yes. a good enough job at that. That's obviously not in the control of the prosecutor's office, but I wonder if the system is doing a good enough job of honoring that.
3: That is a long time to wait for justice, and actually, um, that the actual murder took place when I was still in high school. There you go. The trial took place when I was in college, yeah. so... If that gives you an idea of how long that took to get to, you know, final resolution. And we're
1: doing a better job at that, I presume, now because of what we've put into the Constitution for Victims' Rights.
3: I think so, yeah. But, you know, obviously we have a ways to go.
1: Well, when you at the county attorney's office have on your website Survivor Voices Elevate, Engage, Effect, Change... Um, I like that idea of survivors' voices. I mean, that has been what you have been prosecuting on behalf of uh, since you started uh, in the county right. attorney's office. This is how you made a national reputation. You know this area well, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Right. I So in the 30, actually coming up on 31 years now, um, in the office, 25 of those I spent either supervising or, or just being a line attorney and. Crimes against children, sex crimes, and, uh, you know, giving voice to people who really can't speak for themselves. And uh, it's been very rewarding. Uh,
1: I want to – I have to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, I want to ask you maybe a slightly difficult question. But when people think about crime – and, of course, the national attention has turned to it uh, over the last, I don't know, four years a little bit more because a lot of places have gotten worse – have we become too, um, what's the word I want, too conscientious, too sedulous, if you will, of defendants' rights over and against and at the expense of victims' rights? Of course, we all support the Fourth through Eighth Amendments to our Bill of Rights, but have we kind of sometimes in that uh, conspicuousness of adhering to those strictures become a little too callous about the rights of the true victims, the real victims of society, the whole point uh, of us having criminal law. Can I, can I have you ra- uh, address that when we come back from break?
3: Absolutely.
1: Thank you. Rachel Mitchell is our guest. She is our county attorney. MaricopaCountyAttorney.org is a website. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Our County Attorney, Rachel Mitchell, is our guest. Uh, some people think of uh, the County Attorney uh, as the District Attorney. Some locales call them District Attorneys. Here in Arizona, we call them County Attorneys. And it is uh, it is National uh, uh, Crime Victims Rights Week. And I was just saying to Rachel Mitchell right before the break, it's it's good that we do this because I think there's a sense in our country, Rachel. And I'm sure it's a sense maybe even in your office that sometimes our over conscientiousness in adhering to defendants' rights through the Fourth and Eighth Amendments, of course, which we support, forget that there is a victim here, too, who maybe is getting short shrift in compared to the conscientiousness we pay to the rights of the criminal defendant. Might you address yourself to that a little bit?
3: Yes, I mean, just what we were talking about before the break, about how long it took for um, the Atwood case to come to final resolution. I mean, essentially 38 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, in talking recently with uh, the next of kin, the victim's mom and stepdad, you know, what we forget is how long this impacts. And by long, I mean for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. One of the things that they were telling me is that To this day, they are still triggered by the sound of helicopters overhead because every morning that's where the search pattern would begin is right over their house Mm -hmm. looking for that child. And, you know, you have to keep those things in mind as they are wading through a system that is up until this happens foreign to them. And, uh, you know, just the other day I was talking to somebody about the efforts for criminal justice reform And uh, he was talking to me about the need to be mindful of the financial impact and the ability for victims to get restitution, because they can be financially devastated from crimes. So, you know, we talk about the offender and the offense a lot, because I think that's what interests people. That's what's on the TV show. But in real life, you have a real victim who is devastated.
1: And we have seen perhaps more lately than I remember growing up, and maybe it's a result of these these bills of rights for victims' rights um, – we have seen more lately the testimony of family members, surviving family members, if, if the crime was the ultimate crime of death, but if it wasn't, we have seen, it seems, a little bit more of this kind of testimony. I always thought of the, of the crime vit- victim as the forgotten man or the forgotten woman, if you will, and it seems mm-hmm. we're doing a slightly better job nationally. I'm not speaking locally. We've, as you pointed out, been doing a pretty good job here locally compared to the rest of the mm-hmm. nation, but nationally it seems our focus and attention is being put right where the priority belongs on the person who suffers as a result of violent crime.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I think there has been a shift in that direction and a much-needed shift. Um, again, I think we have further to go in, in terms of understanding the long-lasting impact yeah. that crime can have, especially, for example, the types of crimes that I spent my career prosecuting. Sure. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that, that was the worst of the worst, wasn't it?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously murderers have the most profound impact, but yes, absolutely.
1: Rachel, when you look at other cities uh, and their spiking and elevated crime rates, other major cities, we can recite them, but we all know what they are. People think, well, is this a matter, or people ask, is this a matter of the police? Is this a matter of enough police? Is it a matter of the DA? We hear a lot about DAs and politics and the DAs or county attorney's offices. What is the relationship between a DA or county attorney and the police and in having police protect and enforce the law?
3: Well, you know, I'll I tell you, i tell you, when I address civic groups, one of the things I say is, Regardless about who you, you know, how you feel about who's in the White House, that's not what's really driving this. What's driving it are two positions, and that is the city council, which includes, of course, the mayor. And that has to do with whether they are supportive of police, whether they fund the police. And then the other role is the district attorney or, as you said, like we call the mayor, the county attorney, what I do. Uh And that is whether that person is going to uphold and enforce the law. And when you look at the lawlessness that is taking place in um chicago and we have one mayor coming in that seems to be worse than the mayor that was there already right um basically (laughs) turning one turned a blind eye to the crime the other one's winking at it Mm -hmm. and uh you know and and it's no wonder that the police are just demoralized we're hearing I mean, this grabs my heartstrings, police officers killing themselves mm-hmm. because the morale is so low, mm-hmm. um, the numbers are down. I, I mean, it's an unthinkable way to live, and um, thank God we do not have that here. We have lower numbers of police that are that are going to start building back up, but uh, you do have a county attorney who is uh, more than uh, willing to enforce the law.
1: Yeah. No, of course, in you we do. One of the things I have noticed, too, by the way, on this topic is sheriffs um, in other jurisdictions. Uh, for example, I saw one in Florida a couple of weeks ago starting to enter what may be the third rail or a third rail in criminal prosecution or criminal uh, in uh, cr- uh, cr- criminal investigation, which is talking about the duty of schools and the youth, the rising, the rise of youth violent crime. I don't know if you're seeing it here or if you're seeing a, viol- a, a, a rise in youth violent crime, but I'm certainly seeing it as a national matter in other places, the, particularly this one sheriff in Florida was talking about it and how the schools need to do a better job um, of helping in law enforcement with that as well.
3: Yes, and and if you've noticed, while there was a trend a few years ago to get rid of the school resource officers, the trend now is to bring them back onto campus. Um, Yeah, that didn't take long, did it? Um, You you know, and I just met with my juvenile uh, attorneys just the other day, and and they'll get an update on what's going on. Yes, we are seeing an increase in youth who have guns, Mm -hmm. and That is just a horrible combination, and we are going to take steps to address it. One of the things that we talked about was um, asking for higher bonds on juveniles who are committing types of uh, offenses like that. Uh, We've been doing it in the adult system now for the last um, six or seven months, and we're seeing a change. And uh, so now we're going to continue to do that in the juvenile division as well.
1: Fantastic! If people want to uh, get involved uh, with your office, uh, I know you have a wonderful, uh, wonderfully helpful website on victim services. Again, MaricopaCountyAttorney.org. dot uh, org, and of course, if you want to go to the website, you can just click on survivor voices. Rachel, thanks for doing everything Mm -hmm. you do for us in this community, and thanks for taking a little bit of time to highlight this important. With all the holidays we have, or all the weeks we have, you know, it's not really a holiday, but all the commemorative weeks we have, this is really one that I think hasn't gotten enough attention, and I am so grateful you are putting your focus on it. Thank you for everything you do.
3: And thank you for highlighting it. I appreciate
1: it. You betcha, Rachel Mitchell, our county attorney. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be back with another thought. Folks, with all the uh, vagaries in our economy, bank failures, stock market volatility, possible recession on the horizon, why Refi offers an investment in a portfolio that is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it whatever you like, with no loss of principal. If you need your money back at any time, there are no fees in this portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. How high? Up to ten point two five percent. Y-Refi is based here locally, right on uh, Scottsdale and Road and the 101. I encourage you to stop by their offices. I have, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I trust them so much and like them so much, and you will too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. That's 888 888- yre five thirty four. Make sure and tell them Seth sent you. I did. I did do a monologue um, a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was a week ago on the rise of youth violence. Uh, just thinking about that in the after, in the uh, aftermath of my talk with Rachel Mitchell, and the need for not only schools to be hardened, of course, not only for schools to take security more seriously, of course, but. Excuse me. Contra the um, contra the statements of Joe Biden and the secretary of education and too many on the left these days that want to uh, be involved in our children's lives over and against the wishes of parents. Parents do have a singular wish about their children when they are not under their roof, when they are attending school, and that's that they be kept safe. Safety. And, you know, part of that is schools that are welcoming of parent involvement. That's why I so dislike what Joe Biden said today about children being the nation's children. Um, The parents want involvement in the schools, and it's always been the mark of a good school, a school that is run well and administered well, that welcomes parental involvement. And the more adult eyes and ears on any campus— Any school campus, the better. At the end of the day, more adults on campus acting as adults, listening, coaching, counseling, hearing, watching, seeing, all of that will improve school safety, of course, as well. But Michael Novak still, end of day, had it right. A country that venerates moral virtue can have 330 million policemen. A country that denigrates it Will never be able to hire enough. I'm Seth Leipson. We'll be right back.
0: Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.